0: You're listening to The Desk Set, a bookish podcast for reading broadly. We're your hosts, Emily Calkins and Britta Barrett. And on this episode, we're talking about the best books of 2019. So
1: a few things that'll be included in this episode are all of our very important thoughts about
0: fiction and nonfiction. We'll talk to a children's librarian and a teen librarian from our branches, and they can give us some insights on the teens and children's list. And then we'll chat with
1: a variety of staff at KCLS who are sort of pitching their favorite books. And you can see
0: the complete list at kcls.org bestbooks best books. All right, we are here with the best books of the year. Yay, I love best books. It's one of my favorite projects of every year. And how does this list happen? So what happens is in late September, we start compiling nominations. So I take nominations from librarians, from our selectors who do all of the purchasing for the system. So they're super knowledgeable about what's come out over the course of the year. You and I nominate titles and then a couple of other folks whose brains are really in new book mode for the whole year. I put all of those into a big list um, and I create a giant survey monkey that I send out to all staff. So all of our staff members at KCLS have the opportunity to vote on the best books of the year we have them in four categories fiction nonfiction teens and children's and then I take the top 25 titles from each category and that's our best books list for the most part I will say I am always looking for diversity on the lists in in lots of ways so I really want to be sensitive to like how many do we have some fantasy do we have some romance do we have some literary fiction you know we want to have balance and so sometimes there's a little bit of shifting that happens around that but for the most part it's really like these are the 25 books that our staff love most in these Categories. And which ones did you personally love the most? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. So I just finished Daisy Jones and the Six on audio. It is a story about sort of a 70s era it girl who ends up joining this rock and roll band. And it's very like Fleetwood Mackey. Like that's kind of the the vibe around the whole thing. And uh, it's presented as an oral history. So as if someone is going back and interviewing these people you know, 30 years later about what really happened and how this amazing album got made and then how everything kind of fell apart. And it's just so fun to listen to. Um, the author is Taylor Jenkins Reed, and she does a really great job of um, playing with that format. So there's lots of like funny moments where someone recounts an event and then someone else immediately Contradicts them in like a way that's like okay, I see what was going on here. It's like you had very different experiences, so it's just really funny and it's amazing on audio. Um, it's got like um, Benjamin Brad and Judy Greer and like really an all-star cast, and also that format just lends itself so well to different voices. So it's a really great listen, but I think it's probably a very fun read too. Um, Engaging without being like super fluffy. Not that I have anything against fluff.
1: Yeah, because speaking of fun and fluff, I feel like you've also talked my ear off this year about how much you just love, love, loved uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue.
0: Yes. So there are several romantic comedies or romances on the list this year. And I don't know if Red, White, and Royal Blue is my absolute favorite, but it's near the top. This is a funny, sexy, joyful book about a young man who's the son of the first female president of the United States. So already in it for that. And his relationship with the Prince of England. So I have like a bit of a Royals thing. So it really is checking all my boxes already. And then it checks my favorite romance box of all time, which is fake relationship. So these two guys are at a wedding. They get into a tiff. They sort of have this like long-standing uh I don't want to say they're enemies, but they don't really like each other. They get into a tiff, they knock over the wedding cake. And so then they have to fake a friendship to, for, to sort of brush this under the, under the rug, right? Like, oh, it's fine. They were just messing around. They, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so they start texting and emailing. And then it turns into this really wonderful romance. Um, it is just so joyful and um, it also has this really fun sort of queer history thread through it Um, the prince is a great letter writer and he often is quoting other letters between lovers of the same sex and so you kind of get this like fun little uh, queer history in it as well Um, another uh, romance that I want to mention is Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes she hosts um, the npr's pop culture happy hour podcast and this one's a little bit more of like a i think the book publishing word for it is probably like women's fiction or domestic fiction which we can unpack that another time but um it's about this young woman whose husband has died in a car accident um but what no one knows is that she was getting ready to leave him right before he died. And so she and he was like a doctor and like a big deal in this little town in Maine where they live. And so she's had to perform this grief over the last year, but she really is grappling with much more complicated feelings. And she has this big empty house and through a connection with a friend, um, she ends up having a baseball player move into the apartment upstairs so he's a professional baseball player who's got what's called the yips do you know what the yips are i do it's it's sort of like stage fright but maybe for sports yeah totally stage fright for sports is like exactly right like there's nothing wrong with him but he just can't pitch anymore And he was like a very great pitcher. And so to escape the spotlight, I think he's maybe been playing for the Yankees and he's trying to get out of New York. He moves to this little town in Maine and they strike up a friendship that's really, really wonderful. And it's... um, It's just such a lovely book. It's warm hearted, not just this relationship between the two of them, but all of these other friendships. Evie has this sort of crotchety dad who's really great and she's got a lifelong friendship with a guy in town that's really wonderful and just these really great relationships um, and excellent dialogue, which is something I'm really a sucker for. So um, that's Evie Drake starts over. Did they both learn to love and pitch again? You know, they do learn to love. I don't want to spoil the pitching part of it. (laughs) Well, I'm on pins and needles now. (laughs) You should read it. I know you won't. It's okay. I know you don't like fiction. Hey, I read a fiction book this year. (laughs) (laughs) Did you read any of the books on the list? That's a good question. I definitely started quite a few of them. Uh Uh, I feel like Sally Rooney's Normal People... She sort of hailed as like the millennial novelist. This is when I started, <laughs> oh really? And I just didn't feel the same way everybody else did. it didn't. maybe for I you? didn't get far enough, so for people who haven't read this one, it's sort of a love story. It's about these two kids in Ireland. They start a relationship in high school. She's kind of a smart outcast. He's kind of the jockey popular kid, but uh, he's also really smart and they end up having a lot in common in some ways. And it follows them over the course of their, that the the beginning of that relationship and then through college. Um, And this is another one where like, I just think the dialogue is so accurate and she she writes these scenes and you just think like oh god like you cringe a little inside because they feel so real you know and the characters feel so real uh for me i'm finding more and more that like characters and relationships are what really drive my interest in a novel and these two people i just found incredibly compelling and like really frustrating sometimes it's really like watching two of your friends like be dumb (laughs) about the fact that they're in love with each other. So if that sounds good to you. I mean, I love
1: cringy recognition. That's why I'm a nonfiction reader. I'm like, (laughs) it's so real. I'll
0: have to give it another shot. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was great. There's so many good books on this list. I'm just looking at it now and thinking like, oh man. So when you've talked about before,
1: um, actually when we were talking to Angela Garbs, I think you both mentioned really
0: loving uh, Lost Children Archive. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, I read a lot of light stuff this year for a bunch of reasons, both personal and sort of like what's happening in the world. Um, this is not one of those light things. This is a novel, but only barely. She's really playing with form in ways that are really interesting in this book. And, um, I like. I like a big swing, you know, and I think that Luiselli takes a huge swing with this novel. It's about a couple who are both um, sound editors, basically, and they take their young children who are, I want to say like five and nine, maybe on a road trip from New York, and they're going to the U.S.-Mexico border where they're going to be working on a couple of separate projects. So part of it is the story of that road trip and their relationship is kind of unraveling at this point so it's about that um there's a story within a story that's ostensibly a novel about children who are traveling alone from Central America, trying to get to the U.S., um, riding on a train. So there's a element of um, immigration story that feels very timely and is really hard. Um, you know, these kids are facing incredible danger just trying to get many of them trying to get to their parents or their family who are already in the States. Um, and there's sort of this thread about, uh, the Apache American Indians. The dad's project, uh, is related to that. So it's, it's very complex. It's very naughty. Um, with a K, with a K. <laughs> we should mention yeah it's it's very complex it's got lots of layers uh the book has um images in it so the the boy has a polaroid camera so it's like multimedia kind of and um it's just it's just a fascinating read the way that she brings all of these different elements together and then i was reading it at the time that um the Children traveling alone at the border and the detention of those children was really in the news. So it really was um, I felt very timely and and sort of hit home really beautifully done. The only other one I see on here that I feel like I should just give a brief shout out to is um, this is how you lose the time war by Amal El-Motor and Max Gladstone. This is a really weird book. In a good way, it's fantasy and or science fiction, uh, definitely like speculative fiction. That's about two organizations, one that's kind of like the organic people, things like growing things and chaos and one that's very mechanistic and ordered. And this war over the ultimate fate of the universe where they are sending agents up and down through time on different threads. And it's very complicated. And then two of these agents, one from each side, start communicating with each other via these elaborate letters. And it's just really unusual in terms of the way that the storytelling happens. And the world building is both so detailed and also um sort of opaque, like you never get an explanation for a lot of things. But again, it's really about the relationship between these two agents. And so for me, like these letters that start out as one thing and very quickly evolve into something totally different was just really great. And that one is also very short. So if you're looking for something quick to up your end of year reading total, This Is How You Lose the Time War is a great pick. Awesome. Should we move on to nonfiction? Yeah, let's talk nonfiction. I feel like this is your domain. Do you have favorites. I'll talk about them, but I feel like you also love a lot of stuff on this list, like save me the plums. I do. I love Save Me the Plums. This is uh, Ruth Reichel's most most recent memoir. So she is a very well-known food writer. She was the restaurant critic for the New York Times, and she's got a bunch of memoirs about her career in food. And this one is about her time at Gourmet Magazine, which was sort of the last decade that Gourmet was around. And it begins when Condé Nast, which is the company that owned Gourmet, was like at the top of the world and had so much money. Like early on in her career there, they literally sent the entire staff of of the magazine to Paris. I know. Can you imagine? And it was also like as the internet was coming up. So part of it is like seeing her try to figure out how to bring gourmet into the internet age and like why that in the end didn't work and the magazine folded and, um, So there's lots of great food writing and it has like a fun sort of like gossipy media insidery tone that I just really enjoyed. Just like very fun and engaging. Um, The other one on the list that I really love is Good Talk. Mm -hmm. This is maybe my favorite book of the year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, ask me tomorrow and I'll say something different, (laughs) but um, it's a... Did you read this one? I did. I love that she takes these really heavy topics, right? Like this is a book about race. It's about like how you talk to your kid, your non-white kid about the fact that the color of their skin impacts the way that people interact with them in the world. And her son is about six over the course of this memoir. And he's asking like really hard questions like do people hate me because I'm brown? Uh, And what you do with a family that, that doesn't, so she's in a marriage where she's Indian American and uh, her husband is white. He's Jewish. And her in-laws don't necessarily see the complications of race that she does. So it's, it's really heavy and yet it's so funny and, um, Like, honest. And again, I guess dialogue is like a theme for me here because she just captures the way that kids get interested and sort of fixated on something in a really funny way. The opening sequence is like her son being obsessed with Michael Jackson (laughs) and like asking some like really like the kind of questions that kids ask about like Michael Jackson that adults like don't ask like is he black or white or like did he used to be black and then he became white according to the song it doesn't matter
1: (laughs) my number one pick of the year not even a competition at all (laughs) is a Gia Tolentino's trick mirror the subtitle of which is Reflections on Mm -hmm. Self-Delusion. You might know her work from Jezebel or The Hairpin, but she's probably most famous as an essayist for The New Yorker. And what I love so much about her is that none of her takes are hot. (laughs) They're like (laughs) very long form and thoughtful and critical, but she turns that critical eye on herself and her own sort of complicity and participation in all sorts of like, patriarchal, capitalistic things that uh, this book explores. And it's done through some really boring topics like bar class and reality television. Um, But she manages to say something so interesting about what it means to be alive at this particular moment, especially if you are like we are millennial women. (laughs) I think she's 31. And so she's writing from this perspective that I really value of someone who remembers what it was like before and after the kind of internet we have now mm-hmm. and how that's changed culture and ourselves and is Like, she's the person I would turn to to explain
0: TikTok to an old. (laughs) Um, I need her to explain TikTok to me. I think I'm an old now. We are all old now.
1: (laughs) And she has written it for The New Yorker, by the way. If uh, you don't subscribe, but you'd like to read it, you can check out New Yorker articles. um, The whole issue on RB Digital,
0: which is my favorite way to access that. Yes, you can get the app for your phone and log in with your library card and... There's the New Yorker and Bon Appetit. And surely if Gourmet still existed, it would
1: be in there too. (laughs) So much great stuff. But um, this collection tackles, like I said, everything from kind of like lighter topics to really big issues like campus-wide rape epidemics um, at her alma mater and what it was like growing up in like a mega church in Texas. And her identity is, I believe she was born in Canada to parents who are um, Filipino immigrants and has lived in the States for most of her life. But that's also kind of a part of the identity that she's reflecting on. And I just think she's the smartest writer of our era. There's
0: lots of those um, sort of part biography part uh or part memoir part essay collection kind of things on this list Uh, did you read thick by tressie mcmillan cotton it's absolutely at the top of
1: my to read list because it tackles the subjects that i care very much about um, which is sort of like being a human in a body (laughs) and particularly a larger body and what that means for a person and this particular person is also a person of color and
0: that is another layer of complication Um, There's also Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which is a memoir that is also about therapy. So it kind of combines, again, that like cultural reporting. It's a memoir by a therapist who's in therapy. Um, I haven't read that one, but um, I think people really liked it. Lucy Knisley's Kid Gloves is partially a memoir of her pregnancy and childbirth experience, but also partially a history of obstetrics in this country in particular. And I love Lucy. She's written previously a lot of like travel memoir Mm -hmm. that's been really great. Yeah, she's great. She is um really funny and vulnerable and sort of like in good talk strikes that balance between like, especially in nine months um or in kid gloves. Uh, things that can be really heavy and also things that are like sort of seeing the lighter side of those or finding the humor. Are you the author of Happiness is Baking? Because I feel like you could write it. <laughs> I am not. The author of Happiness is Baking is, uh, ooh, Maida Heder. She is 102 years old. So oh my gosh. I hope I'm still baking when I'm 102. Does she have some like folksy wisdom
1: about living off of chocolate and wine to continue? I hope continue? so. I don't know. Year uh, I of feel life. like I'm going to
0: Google that and see like how could I live to be 102 and still bake. Another
1: fun one on this list that's also kind of related to or kid adjacent is uh, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? <laughs> Which are questions from little people about death and dying. I think she's become very quickly sort of One of the biggest pop culture figures to talk about death and dying in a way that's accessible and funny and based in science and very curious and open to all the sort of different ways that humans have decided to approach, think about and celebrate death.
0: Yeah, I really like this one. Um, I have not read her before. She also has a YouTube series called Ask a Mortician. Uh, But I found this just like super engaging She manages to walk this really fine line between being irreverent about the whole process, which can be sort of scary and opaque and just something that people want to avoid. She's very open about it, but she never is dismissive of people's experiences or the respect that with which we should treat Death and dying and bodies after death, um, and this has like really amazing questions in it. Like, what happens if you die in space? What does happen? Well, I don't remember all of the details, but what I do remember is that the for some country, you know, they have to make a plan for people who actually go to space. And <laughs> I, I think it's on the space station, but I might be incorrect. It's been a while since I read this book. They, they put you in the airlock. They, you know secure you um they open the airlock so that you freeze and then they put you inside this bag and then they shake it real hard so that you (laughs) break into a lot of cubes and then they zip you down so you're more compact and then you can be delivered um back to your loved ones as, on a, frozen as a frozen space cube. space yes. cube I mean that sounds pretty cool right there are worse things to have happen to your
1: body after death I'm really excited about human composting which is coming to
0: a Seattle near you <laughs> true um will my cat eat my eyeballs is another question and the answer is um like eventually probably but not mm-hmm. right away they don't want to eat your eyeballs no most cats, probably. But like if you
1: haven't been around to feed them for yeah. a while. Yeah. And your eyeballs tasty. are soft.
0: So mm-hmm. it's like a good starting point. Totally. <laughs> um, what does a dead body smell like is one. Um, can I keep my parents' skull is another one. The answer to that one is probably no. Uh, so bad news for any young skull collectors out there. <laughs> but these are all questions that kids who've come to Doty's previous events have asked her either in person or you know have sent her a question a letter or whatever um, so they're really wide-ranging and it's very funny and also really informative there's a lot of nonfiction on this list that's just like ripped from the headlines I feel
1: like Parkland, which tackles um, gun control issues in this country and MAID, which is a very personal story that highlights income inequality and specifically how that impacts um, women and single
0: mothers. Mm -hmm. And um, on the clock, what low wage work did to me and how it drives America insane is also about that. It's by a journalist. So maybe one you should pick up um, who went And got jobs at an Amazon warehouse, a call center, and a McDonald's, and then wrote about the impact of that. So sort of a spiritual successor to Barbara Ehrenreich's Nickel and Dimed, which Mm -hmm. I think is a classic, but has been around for 20 or 25 years now. Um, So I think, you know, we're always sort of interested in those bigger issues. Although I think this list list this year is a little bit less sort of current eventy than it's been in years past. We have lots of memoirs, although we also have um, She Said, which is the book by the two journalists who um, broke the Harvey Weinstein story and sort of kickstarted the Me Too movement. Um, So we do have Plenty of those topical picks as well.
1: Although I can't help but thinking like, of course, the librarians chose the history of the semicolon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, there and are things that make this a very librarian-y. In addition to the history of the semicolon and Dreyer's English, which is like a, essentially a style guide. Uh, we also have, sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to come. One introvert's year of saying yes, which just seems like so on the nose totally. and also real. <laughs> Also, very real for many of our many of our staff, myself
1: included. So, one of my favorite books about languages did not make the list, but it's called Because Internet. <laughs> because I'm on the internet all of the time, and I'm super interested in the ways that we've uh, discovered to sort of communicate tone uh, using just language when we can't hear and see each other. And what I love about the book is that it's got this warmth and generosity and curiosity about this changes without a lot of prescription and Mm hand-wringing about what it means for the English language. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that you don't always see in books about language, grammar, etc.
0: Totally. Do you have any other favorites that didn't make the list that you... Well, as wish had, (laughs) just because it came in right sort of
1: at the end of the year, Carmen Maria Machado's uh, In the Dreamhouse is a memoir that's genre defying and it explores surviving an abusive same-sex relationship. And I think Carmen is just a miraculous writer. If you've read, um, her previous collection of short stories, her body and other parties, you know what you're getting into and seeing that applied to her real life through this still kind of like magical realist lens
0: uh, was super fascinating. I have one more that I wish had made the list. And I think is also just sort of a late comer, um, which is Kevin Wilson's, nothing to see here, which is fiction. It's fiction. <laughs> oh, I'm
1: sorry. Did you want to keep talking about nonfiction? <laughs> I just, I think we should mention that like exploding
0: children <laughs> probably don't exist. This story about two children who spontaneously combust and are fine is not real. It is yeah. a novel, uh, but it's really funny and funny without, funny and again, warm, like that's what I really wanted this year, but without being saccharine. So now you've heard all of our thoughts. Maybe
1: we can get some book suggestions from other librarians. I think that's a great idea.
2: I'm Zach and I help select adult books here at KCLS and I really enjoy deep river by Carl Marlantis. So it's a sprawling family epic set here in the Pacific Northwest around 1900. Uh, so the story starts with a Finnish girl and her two brothers are forced to leave their country and they try to rebuild their lives in the, the wilds of Southwest Washington. The book is over 800 pages long, but one thing I liked was how quickly the story moves from one scene to the next. There are a lot of memorable characters and their fortunes change in the logging camps and coastal towns and Saturday night dances. I love the descriptions of Finnish culture and life in the Northwest at the turn of the century. Just the details of logging, climbing and chopping down and moving 300 foot tall trees was fascinating to me. Trying to improve working conditions through the labor movement and strikes could be just as dangerous. Readers who enjoyed Ken Kesey's Sometimes a Great Notion, and Richard Powers' The Overstory will like this one, too. So that's Deep River by Carl Marlantis.
3: Hello, I'm Jennifer, and I buy adult books and films for the library. And the book I want to share with you today is Things You Save in a Fire by Katherine Center. It's about Cassie and Cassie is a firefighter who's earned the respect of her fellow firefighters and she really enjoys the camaraderie that she shares in the firehouse with her fellow coworkers. But then in this sort of one-two punch in the story, Cassie's place at the firehouse is completely upended. She gets in trouble with her chief for her reaction to a local politician and her mother, Um, from whom she's been estranged, needs her help with her failing health. Both situations mean that Cassie must leave everything she's worked for and start over in a Boston firehouse that is less than thrilled to be the recipient of a lady firefighter. So for readers who like romance, there is this slow boil storyline that simmers on the back burner. But for me, what was really interesting about Things You Save in a Fire is Cassie and how she handles the situations that life throws at her, even though sometimes the answer is completely catastrophically. Cassie faces questions about worthiness, forgiveness, resilience, and purpose. How do you pick yourself up and keep plugging away when you've really messed up or when someone else has? Who is forgiveness actually for? And what does it cost to forgive and what does it cost to hold on? I'd recommend Things You Save in a Fire for readers who like stories about an underdog, set on proving herself, or for readers who enjoy stories about how people struggle through their very messy lives.
4: Hi, I'm Bruce Greeley. I'm in charge of the bookmobiles um, that serve seniors throughout the King County, and I'm here to talk to you about Recursion by Blake Crouch. This book starts with this New York City detective um, trying to talk down a woman who's perched on a ledge and a skyscraper in New York City, and he's trying to keep her from jumping to her death. And the reason is because she's suffering from this phenomenon known as FMS. It's called false memory syndrome. That's where, like these people, they suddenly they have this whole set of memories that they didn't even know about. So there's a parallel story with this other neurophysicist. Her mother is in the late stages of Alzheimer's, and um, she's working on helping capture your memories and even um, being able to revisit them again. So these two stories, can you imagine how they're going to intersect? Crouch is great at making these plots merge and, and, and it gets wilder and wilder and you, and you won't believe what happens, but you won't be able to put the book down. This book explores the nature of time and reaches some mind-blowing conclusions in the process. Like, you ever had any regrets or you ever uh, thought about ch- going back in time and changing something in your past? All I can say is be careful what you wish for.
5: Hi, I'm Destiny, and I'm a children's librarian. I am going to talk about a book called Exhalation by Ted Chang. So Exhalation is a collection of nine short stories by uh, the award-winning science fiction author Ted Chang, and it is, I think I would describe it as thought-provoking, first of all, and also very beautifully written, very precisely written. Uh, Ted Chang is a technical writer. That's his day job, and you can tell when you read his fiction that he's very precise precise in his words. Um, So to give you a sense of this collection, I thought I'd tell you about just one of the stories. Uh, And I picked the one that has stuck with me the most. I mean, they're all excellent, but there's this one that I think about all the time, and it's called The Truth of Fact, The Truth of Feeling. So this is a story that takes place in both the past and the future. Uh, The story in the past is about a boy from a community without written language, and he meets a missionary who introduces the written word to him for the first time. And in the future, there's this story about a new technology that's called a life log, where it's keeping track of everything that happens to you every day, uh, every second through video. So if you ever want to um, think back to something that happened in the past, you don't have to use your imperfect memory. You can use your life log and it will tell you, it will show you exactly what really happened. So. Um, after I read these stories, I was asking everyone I know, like, would you want a life log? Like, can you imagine what the world would be like without writing? Like both of uh, both of these questions have really stuck with me. And I've had super interesting conversations with people who haven't even read the story um, just because I was so enthusiastic about it. So um, if you uh, like engaging stories with like complex philosophical questions, or if you like TV shows like Black Mirror or the Twilight Zone, I'd suggest giving
6: Exhalation by Ted Chang a try. I'm Jessica, and I serve patrons by maintaining the library's website. I have two books to share, one fiction and one nonfiction. The first book is a historical novel, The Island of Sea Women by Lisa C. It's about all women diving collectives on a small Korean island. I don't read a lot of historical fiction, but I was hooked by the unique lifestyle and relationships of women who support their families with this type of work. The extreme risks these divers take made this book a total page turner right from the beginning. The book becomes unputdownable as it follows a friendship during an unbelievably devastating time of colonialism and war. The next book I'd like to talk about is The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Weijin Wang. This sparkling collection of essays centers the author's lived experience with schizoaffective disorder. Esme unpacks complex topics with research and thoughtful reflection like navigating the complexities of getting a diagnosis, or not finding support in higher education, and even dealing with the harm of institutionalization. This was such a raw and intimate read, and it brought on all of the feelings for me. If you enjoy reading about health experiences and mental wellness memoirs, you might also like this illuminating book.
7: Mabbitt and I am the children's services coordinator for the entire system. And so what that means is that I get to assist the fabulous children's librarians all over the county with various needs. All right. So we
0: invited you to come on the show and talk a little bit about this year's best books list, specifically the children's list. So it's 25 titles for basically kids of all ages kind of zero to 12 to 14 ish. Does that sound yep. about right age
7: range? Um, so what themes jump out at you on this year's list? Well, first off, I want to give a shout out to our incredible children's librarians and staff who picked this list because it's uh, very exciting. Uh, the themes that come out the first things that I see that are, um, uh, make me very happy is that there are many, many authors, uh, own voices, authors, and there's every day, diversity represented as well. So Own Voices is about uh, an author who is coming from the culture that they're writing about. So the first thing I think of is the amazing author, uh, Lisa Bunker, who is transgender and she wrote Zenobia July and um, Felix YZ. And she talks about transgender themes throughout her books. So she is from, she's a transgender person herself. So own voices throughout this whole list are represented, uh, everyday diversity is more about, uh, having a main character who's diverse, but it's not about that diversity. So it's about representation. So I'm thinking of a a little girl in a wheelchair that goes to kindergarten. It's not about her experience of why she needs a wheelchair, what it's like to be in a wheelchair. It's about her going to kindergarten and she just happens to be in a wheelchair.
0: Uh, Can you tell us of some of the titles on the list that fall into those categories? Sure.
7: Um, Well, definitely own voices. Kwame Alexander, The Undefeated. um, Just about everywhere I look. A Place to Belong, Cynthia Katojata, Dragon Pearl, Yoon Ha Lee. The Roots of Rap was written by Carol Boston Weatherford. All over um, many own voices, authors. Uh, Everyday Diversity, you would see that in um, Tallulah, the Tooth Fairy CEO, which I'll talk about a little bit later. My Poppy Has a Motorcycle. And uh, another Everyday Diversity book would be Another by Christian Robinson. It's about a cat who takes a girl on an adventure at nighttime. She just happens to be uh, a person of color. I love that one. Uh, I've read it
0: many times with my kiddo and it it has, not only is she a person of color, but there's lots of different kinds of diversity represented in all of the kids who are in that book. It's just really wonderful. Absolutely. And his illustrations are so great. They really are. Uh, let's see, what else? Other other themes that you notice oh, when you're looking at the yeah, list?
7: A lot of uh, focus on social emotional characteristics, which as children, um, you really need to work through to be able to understand your emotions and how to interact in society. But I have to say, some of these are really good for adults, too. Mm-hmm. So the first one I think of is uh, When Sadness is at Your Door by Eva Elland. Um, it's probably one of the most stunning visually representations visual representations of what sadness could look like. And it really spoke to me as an adult. And I think it would really speak to kids, too. I um, also love that one. It's, uh, my kid loved it.
0: Uh, yeah.
7: <laughs> How'd she react to it? Did she? She... You know, she's
0: really little, yeah. <laughs> so it's she's not always articulating things, but she definitely wanted to read it over and over mm-hmm. again, which is always a good sign. Uh, and I, I like the illustrations because they are... It really makes sadness so concrete, and yet they're really simple. It doesn't feel like this big sort of allegorical thing. It's like exactly sadness is like a visitor who comes to your house, and what does it mean to sort of welcome that instead Mm -hmm. of push it away? Uh, Which is a really uh, sort of mind blowing concept, even for adults. I think
7: you could go to years of therapy, yeah, right, (laughs) and, and finally have learned that. So start them out young with that one. Uh, another one is Change in Acceptance. So uh, Princess Puffybottom and Daryl. So a lot of these just seem like silly, funny picture books, but they really have a lot a deeper meaning. Um, and this has many different levels, but it's basically about a cat who is Princess Puffybottom. Shark. Uh-huh. And she has her certain way about how she likes things. And then her humans get Daryl, which is a really fun-loving puppy. And so you can imagine how that goes. Um... And it's about acceptance. Finally, the the she understands that this dog is here to stay and how can she, how can they live together? Mm-hmm. How can they work this out? And I believe this is the one too that has, as far as everyday diversity, the humans, they're, the pets have two moms, I think. They do. Yeah. And there's another one.
0: Uh, My Footprints is also about a family with two moms. That's right. Yes. So... Uh, I mentioned that part of the process is that we take nominations and a couple of
7: titles that you nominated ended up on the list. Can you tell us about them? Indeed. Um, I nominated Tallulah the Tooth Fairy CEO by Dr. Tamara Pizzoli. And the reason I... This book is everything. It's it's fun. Um it's has some new concepts I think for me at least about thinking of a tooth fairy as a brilliant uh businesswoman mm-hmm. who's the head of her own company. Um she's uh just happens to be a, a person of color, so there's everyday diversity um in it as well, her entire board. Is made up of uh, maybe eight. Her board. I love that there's a picture (laughs) of a course. It's like, I have to go present to my board. It's my favorite. The problem is in the book, the little boy lost his tooth. And so he wrote a letter to the tooth fairy and said, I hope you understand. And she thought, wow, this is is outside of protocol. I need to check my guidelines. And she checks them and there's nothing in there. So she goes to her board, (laughs) which is like eight uh, women of color and one white man. And the reason that matters is another part of this book. That's fabulous is that there's the story going along, but then the pictures have a lot that you can really take a lot of time to look and see different details and, and, in that one, they're all talking about what they think about, well, you know, I don't know, the proof is in the tooth. So you should, the boy should have a tooth and every woman has uh, an opinion of what to do. And then the, um, the white man is off to the side, um, and says, I'd like to talk to you about how non-diverse this board is. Um, (laughs) and, uh, all, and then there's an ode to uh, Black Lives Matters with the shirt that he's wearing. And so it's one of those things that you wouldn't necessarily catch as a four-year-old. I would think not, right? right. As an adult, that's going to probably give you a chuckle.
0: Yeah, and it's fun to have, you know... S- picture books that adults will enjoy too because as parents know you end up reading them again and again and again so if there's stuff that is funny and engaging for right.
7: you it makes a nicer reading experience for everybody yeah it's fun there's other things like that where she's interviewed by oprah she does a ted talk like thing and she's interviewed by this woman like a news anchor and you can see her notes and so you can see the questions that she's asking the tooth fairy to lula um, but then you see her doodles and then you see her making grocery lists so it's <laughs> <laughs> very human yeah Right. I love the illustrations too it's like this mod kind
0: of yes. 60s with the big they're really graphic and she has like this amazing
7: afro right and- an ode to African art yeah um, it talks about her schedule on Tuesdays and Thursdays she does Pilates and yoga and, um, <laughs> it's it's fun yeah it's really fun the other one that I picked out is Who Wet My Pants by Bob Shea, mainly because I just want to say who wet my pants all year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Bob Shea is um, fabulous and been popular for a really long time. But this book also has a different level of meaning as well. It's about, it looks like kind of a, a scout master of some sort um, going on a camping trip. And he's very kindly picked out all the different types of donuts that his troop loves. So he knows that someone likes the gross maple bacon one and someone loves, you know, this is for Brian, this is for, and so he's, you can tell he's kind and thoughtful and he gets up on a a stump to announce that he has these fabulous donuts and it's clear that he's wet his pants. So as, and even though he's a bear, he acts very human. So, I think it would be really normal for anyone to get very defensive about being in public or having wet their pants. So he starts demanding, asking who wet my pants because it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and no one gets donuts until you tell me. And then rather than people, the young his young charges getting upset, they all try to think of something that could have happened and try to make him feel better. So, you know, everybody wets their pants, you know, um, but he doesn't like that. And so he keeps lashing out, uh, until eventually someone asks him, well, what did you do today, yesterday or today? And, you know, all the classic things like, um, he had helped with a lemonade stand and it, he drank all the lemonade. Uh, he hiked to a waterfall, a really big waterfall. Um, he sat next to his fish. He fell asleep and his hand is in the fish tank. <laughs> and it's at that time that it doesn't say it, but you can tell he's figured out. Oh, whoops. Okay. That's it was that's, it, that's what happened. I <laughs> yeah. um, and he says at the end that even if you did wet my pants, I'd forgive you and let's all have donuts. So. It's just, it's sweet and it's just really funny and silly. Yeah. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we are coming up on
0: gift giving season and I always think of our best books list as like a resource for parents or other adults who might want to give books for kids in their lives. Uh, Do you have any
7: picks from the list that you think would be especially good gifts? That's really tough because the list is very good. I don't think you could go wrong um, with any of them that being said uh the undefeated by Kwame alexander is wonderful and then the illustrator is kadir nelson mm-hmm. and if you haven't seen his work before you need to do it right now yeah um i also really love llama destroys the world uh, by jonathan Stossman. i think that reading should be fun so you know have fun um just get out there and read whatever you like and encourage your kids to do the same. So llama destroys the world is about a llama that eats so much cake that his pants rip. And then it's (laughs) It's heaven to the best of us. You can relate to it. And then it creates a black hole (laughs) that could actually hurt the world. So I've been there. I don't know. Okay. So it's, that's just fun. Um, but there's a lot to. There's also, you know, A, a Wolf Called Wander by Roseanne Perry. I'm just going to name everything on this list. Yeah, could you just read the list? because uh-huh. I just, all of it's great. A Place to Belong, Cynthia Cadotta. Um y- You know, I think what's great about this list is that there's. Um, brief description on it uh that the librarians have annotated right Mm -hmm. so um it can really help you figure out if this would fit your the human that you're wanting to give it to yeah um I know for sure I'm giving Tallulah the tooth fairy and who wet my pants to my my favorite little one
0: all right well thank you so much for coming to talk to us about our best books for kids and uh as a reminder for our listeners you can go to kcls.org best books and that has all of our lists for the year Uh, and like Cass said they all of the lists have little annotations so if you're not sure what's the right age range the kids uh the kids annotations do say sort of a rough estimate that we think is the right fit so be sure and check that out
8: teen librarian at KCLS um, I primarily work in the Auburn area at the Algona Pacific Library and the Muckleshoot Libraries um, Yeah, I've been a teen librarian for about six years and I read a lot of young adult literature,
1: I don't really think of myself as like a YA person, but looking at this list, there
8: are so many good graphic novels on here, and I am a comics person. Yes, I feel like that's the best part about the teen list is because it gets to sort of like absorb all of the good graphic novels from the year. So, can you tell us about some of your favorites that are on there? Yes. So, my probably some of my favorite books of the year are teen graphic novels on this list. Um, I think my number one is this was. Are packed by Ryan Andrews, and this is a fantastical story about a kid who, um, him and his friends are chasing these lanterns that their town lets out every year that travel down the river, and they've decided this year they're going to follow them as far as they can. Um, But one by one, all the boys start to turn back, and so just two boys are left, and they go on this fantastical adventure where they meet a giant bear, a witch, um, and all these other creatures. In it, it reminds me a lot of um, Miyazaki movies. So. their kids and strange creatures, but it's all presented as if it's just totally normal. And it's just like a comforting, beautiful read. One of my favorites was Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. <laughs> yes, that is definitely my, probably my number two graphic novel pick on this list for sure. And folks might
1: know Mariko Tamaki from previous work like This One Summer.
8: Yes, another great graphic novel. Um, so yeah, so Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me is a lesbian love story, I would say, is the main um, selling point. But it's really just about a bunch of older teenagers living life, um, going through breakups and romances. And it's just the art is amazing. Um, I'm in love with it. And just a lovely cute story Um, another good graphic novel with similar themes is bloom by kevin panetta which is another um, love story this is between two boys and it involves baking in a seaside town and it's another one that's just like lovely and just makes you want to like eat food and hang out at the beach which more do you want <laughs> it gave me all the feels and I feel like the the last two books we we're talking about even have like kind of a similar color palette yeah this one was a little on the blue end and the other I would say Lordine is definitely a more pink and mint green kind of feel but yeah very muted colors and very nice I'm um, a good for I would say teens and adult readers as well so graphic novels is one big theme what other themes do you see on the list um, when I was looking through the list again, um, I noticed there was a lot of sort of um, historical elements on there. So there are a couple um, nonfiction titles. One that I haven't read but I'm excited to read is Elizabeth Wine's um, story about a female pilot in World War II, Soviet female pilots. She writes a lot of amazing work about um, female pilots from that era of history. So that's one that's great for nonfiction readers. Um, and then my non- Number one favorite book on the whole list is 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All, which is another historical story. And this one is fiction. Um And this is told through the point of view of a ghost. So a young woman who was killed in, I think, 1918 during the influenza epidemic. And she is observing another girl, Frankie, who lives in an orphanage in Chicago in the 1930s and 40s. Um, And it's just amazing sort of magical realism kind of thing um, about a ghost and a real girl and all the trials they go through living as women and people kind of at the margins of of society during that time.
0: There's another historical myth. Magical realism. Yes. The gil- Lovely War. Right? Oh, Lovely War. And yeah. there's also Gilded Wolves, oh, which right.
8: is a little bit more fantastical, but um, I think it takes place in 1890s Paris. And, um, and That uh, one's kind of like a caper. I haven't read it yet. I haven't so. read it either, but I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was a heist novel, which I think um, sounds really fun, especially when it's a historical fantasy heist novel. Um, but have you le- read a Lovely War? No, but I've read previous Julie Berry, and I really love her. Yeah. So that one's told through the point of view of... Um, um, Greek gods I believe it's Aphrodite narrating a love story during um, World War One. does that sound right mm-hmm. um, and some people I
0: know who've read it said it's fantastic yeah, yeah she's a wonderful she writes they're really sophisticated so I think teen readers enjoy them but I think adult readers would enjoy that I mean I certainly like them as well her <laughs> use of language and the way she built her characters and, and she does something completely different every time
8: right yeah um, another historical one, and it's also a graphic novel, is Queen of the Sea by Dylan Maconis. Um And this is a, it's billed as historical fiction, but it's pretty um, closely based on a, sort of the Queen Elizabeth story. Um, but it's about a girl who is out on an island in the middle of the ocean near a fictionalized version of Great Britain Um, and she lives in a convent and um, no one comes, it's just the nuns and her and then one day um, a young boy arrives and there's all these mysteries about who she is, who he is and, and it's very slow paced but very lovely and um, I really enjoyed it just kind of got absorbed in this
0: world on this island do you have any favorites on the list like if people are looking to give gifts to teenagers in their lives like things that are really high appeal for lots of different kinds of teens um well, the two sort of higher appeal
8: books um, are both second novels from previous award winners. Um, so there is um, With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. Um, and this is about a teen mom um, who's going through her last year of high school, kind of trying to decide what she's going to do next. Um, and she's also an aspiring chef. So similar to Bloom, if you really like to read about food and people who are really passionate about food, that's great. And that's just a pretty straightforward contemporary realistic story story, um, but the great thing about Elizabeth Acevedo is the way she kind of uses um, voice and um, language to give uh, life to her characters is amazing. Um, so you just kind of fall in love with the main characters in it, even though it's a pretty simple story plot-wise. So I think a lot of teenagers would relate to that. Um, similar to On the Come Up, which is Angie Thomas's second book, she wrote The Hate You Give. Um, and On the Come Up is about an aspiring um, rapper, and so she, it's kind of about her trying to make her way, um, especially as a young female artist. Um, and I think it'll appeal to people who really like The Hate You Give. It's maybe not quite as. Um, uh I don't know, violent or, you know, with those like really strong, heavy themes, it's a little bit more um, just about regular teenage life. But again, it, it's a wonderful book. Um, and that one is great to listen to on audio because it does have like that spoken word and rap um, segments in it that oh, nice. bring it get, comes to life a lot better in audio, I yeah. think. Yeah.
1: Well, I think a lot of adult uh, readers probably recognize one of the names on this list from when we were a teenager. Oh, yes. The book Shout um, is
8: written by the same
1: author who wrote Speak.
8: Yes. Lori House. Anderson's Shout. Um, This is a memoir she wrote um, and it's told through poetry so it's in verse um, and it's about her life growing up and she wrote Speak because of some sexual soul experiences she had had as a youth Um, so this kind of speaks to um, those experiences she went through and then how she has related to teens um, through uh, her novel Speak and the kinds of stories she hears from especially young girls every time she goes out to uh, do school visits Um, so it has some really powerful stories in there and sort of like messages of like overcoming and, um, living through that kind of trauma and all of that. And this again, this is a really great one for adults as well, um, especially since it's told through an adult perspective kind of on the other side of adolescence. Um, I think that's a great one. Jason Reynolds, who is an amazing author, has um, Look Both Ways, which is a collection of short stories. Um, so that's a good one, I think, for the younger teen end, um, especially if maybe they're more reluctant to get into a full novel. They can kind of um, jump into all these different stories. So it's just a about kids in the city and um, just different experiences through there and his the way he writes um, young people is just amazing and just feels so real um, I
0: feel like we just have to save a spot for him on the list every, every year, year like, or like multiple spots yeah because he writes so much he, he puts out like a couple of books a year and they're always wonderful and kids yes. love them and adults love them and they're just really uh, they're really diverse but it's that sort of everyday diversity where it's like that's part of who the characters are but it's not the sort of mains. The rest of, of the character and yeah, yeah he's wonderful definitely I love his um, books if anyone else is
1: looking for a kind of effortlessly diverse cast of characters I loved Pumpkinhead so much oh yes talk it, about like comfort book <laughs> just like the most charming and I know that we're moving from fall and into winter but it's just like a little pumpkin spice latte
8: of a book like so frothy and sweet Yeah, perfect way to describe that one, Um, and that I think would have a lot of fans as well because Rainbow Rowell, the author, writes a lot of other really popular teen books, and then Faith Erin Hicks um, illustrated it, and she has other really popular novels as well. Um, I really enjoyed that one too. If someone who's looking for maybe something a little bit more um, intense, there's a great thriller mystery on the list called Two Can Keep a Secret by Karen McManus. Um, So this is a great one if you like true crime type things, you like murder and trying to figure out who did it. um, that's a good one. And then there's a uh, sort of near future dystopia called Internment uh, by uh, Samira Ahmed. And this is um, imagining a future, which could basically be now, where um, Muslim Americans are sent to detention camps and about a girl kind of fighting back against that um, oppression. So that's one of the, the few sort of like... <laughs> (laughs) Even close to being dystopia on this list, which is kind of coming away from past years, I feel like where that was a little bit more popular.
0: Yeah, I feel like for a long time we've been in like the long shadow of the Hunger Games, like for the last decade. Yeah, and we're kind of finally really... Yes, until the new Hunger Games book comes out next year.
1: (laughs) Um, So one, the, the cover is just so appealing to me. And I think I recognize this author's name from adult books. What is Pet about?
8: Oh, so Pet, I have not read. I do have it checked out. And it is an amazing cover because the title is in sort of like a gold, like guild guilt is that the right word um it's beautiful um and it is a i guess this is also a dystopian realistic i the reviews i read called it genre bending um but it's about a a girl living in a town where they have eliminated all monsters um but then she encounters a small creature named pet who comes back and tells her that he has come to fight the monsters and so there's a little bit of like mystery about what's really going on in their town and um how what they're going to do about that? But I hear it's really lyrical and literary because the author come kind of comes from a literary adult background. So I believe this is her first young readers
0: um, or their first young readers book. Yeah, I think um, that's that's right. It was funny. Uh like reading the reviews for that one, you can see that people are trying to figure out how to distill what it is right.
8: like down into something. And then <laughs> that, those things are like, sense. I can't say too much about it without spoiling it. Right, so I'm exactly. like, ooh, okay. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. Um, and it's one of the National Book Award finalists, mm-hmm. so it's definitely on that more literary end as well. So there's two sort of more straight uh, romance kind of books. So there's Frankly in Love by David Yoon, and that's a debut book. Um, and that's about some very intense high school seniors going through like, are we going to get into Harvard? Are we going to get 1600 in their SAT? But also um, falling in love and trying to hide a romance. Um, It's pretty intense for a more like contemporary realistic romance, um, but it's a lot of fun. And I think um, a lot of teenagers would relate to what the kids in that book are going through. And then Tell Me How You Really Feel um, by Amina May Safi is a, a lesbian romance. And again, it's just kind of a pretty standard contemporary realistic romance just happens to be with lesbians um and i have not read that book but i read a short story by her that i just absolutely loved and i think she captures that like teen romance very well so. I heard it pitched as like if you ever
0: shipped Rory Gilmore and Paris Geller. oh Gillard. yes I think mean I heard that too <laughs> I, I think that actually started as um, Gilmore Girls fan oh really <laughs> like I, I think it's not just like if you ship them it's like that's, that's really where like where the nugget of the story came in. from so I if you a Gilmore Girls Frenemies fan enemies to lovers yeah, exactly. yes exactly like a rivalry but there's some like begrudging respect and then so I haven't read it either but it's, it's Sounds I also very cute. Just have like a crush on the cover of I wish you
8: all the best. Like who are these kids? They look yes. adorable. <laughs> um and that's another like contemporary realistic story um with LGBTQ content. I'm the main character, and this is non-binary. Um, so if you're looking for um a story with a non non-binary sorry, excuse me, a non-binary character, I think that'd be a great one to start with. And I've heard great things about that as well.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us thank today. Thanks for having me we right so thanks to all those staff members for joining us to talk about their favorite books of the year and thanks to all of you for listening along with us all year long
1: do you have any final words about the ten to try reading challenge
0: yes the challenge is over it is done you either did or did not complete you have it You tried and you have succeeded or failed um no so the you have until the end of the year december 31st To finish the challenge, if you're tracking online, the challenge closes then. If you're tracking on paper and you bring in your bookmark on January 2nd when the libraries reopen after New Year's, we'll still take it. Um, So... Uh, You can visit kcls.org slash try to get a reminder of the categories or go to kcls.org slash bookmatch to get suggestions if there's one or two categories left that you just need a little help with. And what can they win? They can win. Well, everybody who finishes gets a sweet little button so you can show off the fact that you're a try finisher and then we'll do a grand prize drawing in January for three names and each of those three names will get a basket of books selected for them by me. So I'll email you and say, what are you in the mood for? And then I'll put together five books that you get to keep. Ooh, that is a great gift. It sounds fun, right? Fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've had a great year
1: of reading, discovered some new authors, and checked out some books based on our recommendations. And we hope
0: you'll join us in 2020 for a whole new set of challenge categories. Stay
1: tuned for what those might be. Till then, happy reading. Happy reading.